Welcome to the Coaching in Clubland podcast. My name is Mitch Johnston and I'll be your host. Coaching in Clubland is an Aussie podcast designed for current and aspiring coaches from all levels and across a range of sports to share their experiences about the caper. We discuss the roller coaster that is the coaching experience, the highs, the lows, the joys and the pitfalls. I caught the coaching bug as a teenager and have been fortunate enough to hold various coaching roles within cricket and footy clubs over the last 15 years. Through these experiences and my interactions as a player, I've come across many great and some not so great coaches in Clubland. We'll aim to keep things simple, practical and relatable so that you can apply these insights to your own coaching experiences. Sit back, grab a cuppa and please enjoy the episode. In this episode of Coaching in Clubland, we speak to Clint Mackay. For cricket fans, the man affectionately known as Squid needs little introduction. Clint wore the green and gold for five years, becoming a white ball specialist and representing Australia in 59 one-day internationals and six T20 internationals. He also has a coveted baggy green in his possession, playing his solitary test against the West Indies at the Wacker in 2009. Clint took more than 100 wickets across all formats for the Aussies, was the Australian one-day cricketer of the year in 2013, and was ranked as high as number four in the ICC one-day bowling rankings at the peak of his career. As well as a decade-long career in the Big V, Clint has played in the BBL, IPL, county cricket, and of course is a stalwart of the mighty Eston Cricket Club. Clint is now making a name for himself in coaching, where he is an assistant coach at the Melbourne Stars and head coach of the Vic Metro under-19 male team, among several other roles. In our chat, we talk about what he learned from the coaches he played under at domestic and international level, the differences between being a specialist and head coach, and his future ambitions in coaching. Welcome to the Coaching Clubland podcast, Clint McKay. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Clint, we've just been in lockdown for the last four or five days, and it's going to be extended for another week or so. What's the situation in the Mackay household? A couple of young kids, pretty chaotic. Yeah, it's actually not too bad. It's probably actually easier for us with lockdown. Obviously, the two young kids running around and whatever else, and then both myself and my wife around actually helping each other out. So, mate, to be honest, I know it's not ideal lockdowns, but we're actually getting through it quite well, considering, which is good. What's on the tally, mate? You got Bluey, Paw Patrol for the kids, or is it reruns of Dad's Hat Trick where he knocked over Peterson, Trot, and Root? No, definitely. There's a lot of live basketball going on at the moment until the two-year-olds discuss, but no, he's got a lot of baby shark going on, dinosaur train and tippido. So we're seeing plenty of repeats of that, but that's no, okay. He's all happy. He's a lot of gymnastics uh, in the lounge room, so he's learning his forward roles and running the jump on dad. So it's all a bit of fun at the minute. Excellent. And you know, this, this podcast is going to be more so about coaching the way you would coach firstly, and then moving into the coach that you want to be. You know, we're not going to really unpack things like, you know, yourself knocking over Sachin and uh, your test debut and your five for against Sri Lanka, those kind of things. It's more about coaching. So for the bulk of your time in, in the Big V, you were coached by Greg Shippard, whose record speaks for itself. What are some of the things that he does well in your mind that's led to his success and longevity? Yeah, the master. He's um, he's still winning titles with Sydney Sixers. He's been around for a long time. And probably the biggest <laughs> thing with Shippy is actually his ability to actually adapt. And that's just not not just the adapter to the group, it's also to new trends and stuff and what the game's sort of going, whatever else, and making sure he stays one step ahead. What he's sort of probably his biggest strength is, is actual sort of technical coaching. Um, you talk about some of the game's greats, like Ricky Ponting, Shane Watson, and they talk about him being the best technical batting coach that's actually been around. So how he sort of relates all the technical side back in into his sort of a coaching philosophy and how that sort of works in a, in a group sort of scenario, it's amazing how he's been able to adapt and adjust for such a long period of time without sort of going stale, really, which is probably the hardest thing as a coach and make sure that you keep the group engaged for long periods of time. Um, you see some of the greatest coaches going around can lose the group sort of five to sort of seven years, but he's been able to actually continue that for what well, he's been in the coach system now for nearly 30 years. And there's a lot of the same people sort of within his teams. 
I think the ability to reinvent yourself as a coach is is really important, particularly if you're going to be attached to a a group or a, a team for that long. So clearly he's got that that skill down pat, but his record certainly speaks for itself. When he sort of grew up, it was basically red ball cricket focused. And as he sort of moved through into the coaching, that's when sort of your one day sort of cricket started and how he sort of actually adapted and created a sort of environment where his teams were successful in that form of cricket that he hadn't really been a part of. And then also too, the bigger ability when he's actually continuing his coaching journey, the 2020 phase has really taken off and it wasn't even spoken about back when he's sort of playing. So his ability to actually understand the different variances in 2020 cricket and the interests around it, but then come up with sort of particular game plans that have been very, shown to be very successful for a long period of time. And he's always sort of at the forefront of those, those happenings, really. And he's been great success at the Sydney Sixers. Most definitely. And I guess broadening that to your international coaches. So you're coached by Tim Nielsen, Mickey Arthur and Darren Lehman, you know, three pretty different characters. Can you compare and contrast their methods and approaches and which coach do you believe got the best out of you? Uh, well, that's, that's a great question because they're all completely different coaches. And obviously it's coming through at, at different times in my career and working out different sort of aspects of what was going on. And I know when Tim Nielsen started, when I was there with him, he was great. He's more hands-on. He'd be sort of the first one in there throwing balls and the last one to leave. And very much what some sort of assistant coaches sort of role is these days. And that worked really well for him. He was, he was very good at what he actually did. And then moving into Mickey Arthur, which was completely different. He was sort of more of a hands-off approach, more of a sort of a man manager, so sort the of new age sort of coaching, um, which is also to an own right. It's fantastic. But then also down had Buff. He was sort of a, a bit of a mix with creating environment and being a bit of a character around the group and sort of trying to gel the group back together, what sort of was needed at that particular time. So when you sit there and you compare the three, they're all completely different, but in their own rights, both, oh, sorry, all three of them were outstanding coaches. And probably the one that, sort of I most sort of got the best out of me really was probably the Mickey Arthur but I think not necessarily his coaching style was the best for me which it probably was but it was more probably the point of my career where I actually started to establish myself um, in the Australian setup and he sort of let us sort of go and dictate our sort of terms and the way we actually went about our cricket so he's sort of actually creating the, the belief back in you to actually go out and do your job so for me that particular time was was great but that's what it comes down to like there's no coaching philosophy or method that's actually right or wrong it's about how you can actually adapt to that particular group you got at the time and what you're trying to achieve so it's going to be completely different you got a really young group and the way you actually adapt your coaching method to that compared to a more senior group when it actually would allow the leaders of the group to actually take over more control and you're there managing situations and managing conversations so i think it's the biggest thing about coaches as you sort of know mitch that it's just sort of making sure you identify what that particular group needs to that particular time and making sure you're using your own personality to actually making sure that you take the good parts and the coaches you think are but also fits into the way you're you are as a character and since you started coaching clint mainly specialized in bowling coaching and, and i guess bowling strategy what emphasis do you play on the technical versus the tactical elements of bowling and is it important that we don't tinker too much with bowling actions yeah, it's a great question. So at the moment, it's more in my sort of roles I've actually been doing. It's more sort of tactical. So generally with the big bash, you only get the, the guys for sort of two months, two and a half months max a year. So And they're in competition. So you're not going to sit there and you're not going to change anyone's action or change their technique or whatever else. So it's more actually the mental side of the game where it's getting them to actually think about different things and thinking about ways they may be able to do things slightly different. It's not massively different. We're just talking about a sort of a couple of cent here and there to actually try and improve the outcome. And that's sort of the same sort of thing with the, the tactical side of things you're looking at more footage and walking opposition analysis and that sort of stuff it's the way the game is at the moment to go back to you'd like to actually do some more sort of technique changes but the reality is that's what the other squads and the other coaches are for so it's actually still understanding your role for that particular time for that particular athlete to make sure you get the best outcome for them 
And that's a big thing. And when you touch on about actually changing techniques and all that sort of stuff, when it comes down to it, what a bowler has is what a bowler has. What we're trying to do as a bowling coach or a skills coach, and sometimes the batting coaches, is actually making sure that they get the best out of what they've actually got. So when we're talking about changing certain things, you're probably only looking at 5 to 10% change, and the rest is actually the natural ability taking over. Because when it comes down to it, you're trying to change everyone is the same person. Well, people move differently. People have got different heights, got different strengths, and it doesn't work that way. And also, too, if you're trying to change things too much, then we're looking at injury prevention. We can talk about this for days and on end. There's so much risks versus the actual reward you're going to get out of when you're trying to do too much. So it's more making sure that everyone's got strength. There's no doubt about that, but it's making sure that strength becomes the best they possibly can be. And I think that's a real adjustment in Australian coaching the last five or so years where previously it was about making bowlers almost quite similar in terms of approach and technique, whereas now we're embracing individuality. Yeah, we might not have seen a Malinga or a Boomer come through Australian ranks just yet, but I think we're more inclined the way we're coaching bowlers to really allow bowlers to maintain their little idiosyncrasies and things they do different and not tinker too much. That's been a really good, I think, growth area with Australian coaching. Yeah, definitely. And obviously there's, there's certain non-negotiables that you actually need to be sort of moving forward as a coach to evolve. And that's all about making sure the alignments are right and some of the mechanics are actually right to so actually for injury prevention. So we're, we're talking about making sure your hips and your shoulders are aligned and you're just working out your front on sideline bottles and sort of all that sort of stuff as well. But the whole thing, if we go back to where we were 10 years ago and make sure everyone wants to do the classical side on aligned at exactly the same. Well, again, everyone's going to be the same sort of bowlers. We're going to miss out on the guys like um, the Boomer and Malinga you actually spoke about from other countries that they're the best in the world and the best in the world because they've got their strength. But what they've actually done is made that strength the best they can be. So I think you'll see sort of in the future, you're going to see more and more of those sort of actions or when you say those sort of actions, a little bit different to the norm is what we would usually say, but you're still going to get some great outcomes as we've seen around the world. Now, in terms of coaching skill set, the specialist route versus the head coach route, what sort of your direction do you think going forward? For me, I've made no secret about it. Eventually, I want to get into the head coaching role. I like the idea of actually trying to manage in groups, which is great. Um, and also, too, letting the group actually express and see where they can actually get to. And you're, as I said, a lot of the time, depending on the group, you're more of a facilitator of conversations rather than actually sit there and talk about your technical side of things and but at the moment, you need to actually get all the learning curves, which I think the skill coaches is probably where your biggest learning curve is and your biggest development because you're sort of one-on-one -on -one or small groups of players all the time. So you need to sort of understand everyone's personality and what makes each person tick and then how you actually adapt your own coaching method and philosophy into those sort of players. So I know it's quite a broad sort of statement and you can sort of get lost in those sort of things. But the biggest thing is as a coach and as a skill coach or a head coach, it's a bit like running a business. You've got so many different personalities, so many different skill sets, then how you actually bring them together to get the best end product. And it's going to be people a little bit different. There's going to be people that don't agree with your philosophy and vice versa, but it's how you actually can manage to get the best people in that group to get the best outcome. And that's what we're all looking for. Like it's, it takes all types, all skill sets, and it's just managing personalities and managing people to make sure everyone's happy and everyone actually feels like they can perform at their best because that's what they do when they're happy. And playing under your captaincy 10, 12 years ago and then working alongside you a couple of years ago at Essendon as when, when you were first 11 captain, I was senior coach. I think I'm glad to hear you say that because I think your skills in bringing people together and getting the most out of a group are absolutely, you know, some of your strengths there. So that's fantastic to hear. Over the years too, as your own self, you know, looking your own self as you're coaching and working out where your strengths lie, but also too, most importantly, where your weaknesses are and making sure you upskill them as well. 
because the person you are now, the coach you are now, is going to be completely different to five years' time. It's going to make sure that brand's going in the right direction, though, because some people can sort of think that they're doing a really good job and then sort of stop learning to improve or wanting to improve, and all of a sudden you plateau or you actually dip down a little bit. So a bit like the shippy analogy at the very start, the best coaches in the world are the ones that are willing to adapt and willing to actually understand that there is some work that needs to be done on yourself and actually continue to grow to get the best outcome regardless of what you're actually trying to achieve. Absolutely. And over the last couple of years, you've been pretty instrumental part of the Melbourne Stars setup and have worked alongside Stephen Fleming and David Hussey. What, what kind of increased responsibilities have they given you to progress your coaching development? Uh, yeah, both been fantastic. Um, basically, first year got thrown into deep end a little bit. Um, it sort of was a job created in some respects form which was more about actually sort of scouting oppositions moving forward which was great but also too trying to understand exactly what that means and what that looks like and what sort of information you're actually looking for to try and filter back to the people that, that need that or want that which was great and great sort of learning curve for me and then sort of from after that first year moved into the bowling coach role which a lot of people say oh you're a bowler and whatever else be quite easy to actually flip into that but it actually takes a lot of work and actually understanding how that sort of looks and what you're actually trying to achieve in the two and a half month period. As we've said before, like you're not going to sit there, not changing actions, you're not changing the personalities, you're not changing anything. It's just making sure that you get the mental side of things, but also too that you're getting the planning right to make sure you get the best possible outcome. And it's actually working with the bowlers and sort of coming up with those plans together because I don't know everything. I 100% know that. As a bowler, they don't know everything as well, but also too, you throw in the captain there and everyone's got different opinions. So it's about actually, once again, you're managing conversations, you're managing what's actually going on. So you're actually hopefully coming up with the best information or the best plans between the three, four, five people involved, whatever it is, to try and get the best outcome. So one of the biggest things is making sure that there's no egos involved in coaching because as soon as the egos get involved, that's where things can go a little bit left field, a bit pear-shaped. It's making sure that listening to what's actually going on and then finding out because some people, you might hear the best advice or the best bit of information or the best tactics coming from people that you probably wouldn't have sometimes necessarily thought of. So yeah, make sure you, you leave the ego behind if you want to get into the coaching setup. Uh, staying open-minded is really important, I think. And one underrated aspect of your career, I reckon, is your time at Leicestershire in, in county cricket. And obviously, a, fair to say, a lower-performing club in Division 2. But can you tell us about some of the things you did there from a leadership and maybe even an informal coaching perspective, which you know made the club more competitive? Yeah, that was a great time of life, actually. It was sort of the back end of my career. And we had Ange McDonald come over as a coach my first two years there. Uh, we had Mark Cosgrove from South Australia, and he was a great guy as well with being captain. Um, so sort of with the three of us and under Andrew McDonald, who was fantastic, tried to help sort of they rebuild the club. They hadn't won a four-day game for, I think it was 970-something days, which is basically three seasons. So coming up for a long way back, it was touted as the worst first-class cricket team in the world, which probably isn't a great sort of thing to hear when you're actually going over to play county cricket for a full season for the first time. But that was fantastic. What it sort of was, sort of trying to grow, sort of development from down up. And then obviously the first year we won a couple of games, which was great, or three games, I think, in the end. Um, and obviously Andrew McDonald went and recruited um, a couple more senior guys just to try and help that mix between the senior guys and the younger generation coming through. And we were actually, we weren't far away from promotion that second year. It was a massive turnaround in two years. We were probably a little bit depleted coming into the last sort of two or three games with injuries. I think basically we had to win one or two of the last three games to get promoted. And unfortunately, that's when we sort of lost a few guys with injury and whatever else. We didn't quite have the resources to back up to get through but the turnaround those two years was amazing and something i'll never forget but it wasn't just one person it was a collective a lot of people trying to actually drive the club in the right direction and it was fantastic it was i think you sort of talk to people those the turnaround the club in those two years was fantastic and 
it's something that you sort of never sort of forget, but you learn a lot of lessons from that as well and things you did really well, but also two things you could have actually done even better. Yeah, it was great times. Now, you retired from Premier Creed a couple of years ago and you're terrorising subbies bats in Brunswick Colours. How do you assess the standard of Premier Cricket compared to the beginning of your career? And is the gap widening between Premier Cricket and State Cricket slash BBL? Uh, I want to make first thing, I'm definitely not terrorising people in subbies cricket. I'm actually bowling backwards in a minute, but that's okay. That's <laughs> a little bit of fun. It's a great group down there and really enjoying what's actually going on down there, which is great. But uh, I don't want to sit there and be one of those old guys say, yeah, the creep was better back in my day when I first started. Obviously, it's changed. The demographic has changed quite a bit since my time. Um, I remember when I first started, it was a it was sort of a lot sort of older place, Premier Cricket. So you're actually looking at a lot of sort of mid to late 20 people and sort of still some people playing in their 30s where obviously that's all changed over the last sort of 15 to 20 years. And you look at a Premier Club and then basically you've got probably 90% of your players are actually under, under 23. So I'm not saying that the, the competition's lessened or whatever else, but it's just a sort of a different mentality going into cricket. And it's probably the cricket in as World Cricket as well with the IPL and 2020 franchises, everyone's starting to know each other. It's the same as in sort of Premier Cricket. So you're not getting that, probably that hard contest, which is probably not a bad thing because some of the stuff that happened when I first started probably shouldn't have happened in this day and age and you're not playing for quite a few weeks. But it's just sort of, it's different at the moment. But there's still some very, very talented kids coming through. I've done a bit of work on the 19s and 17 state squads coming through and the talent pool's there, but there's no doubt about it. Like They're not missing probably the only... The difference in Premier Cricket is actually still getting that 27, 28-year-old core group we're actually playing that have played to Cricket for five to 10 years already. At the moment, you're sort of looking at the 22-year-old that's still trying to find his way um, at that level. So saying that, it's it's probably has widened the gap a little bit between the first-class system and Premier Cricket, but it's not in a bad way either. The, sort of the good players still get through. I know there's been a lot of talk about Mackenzie Harvey, uh, Jake Fraser McGurk, Mitch Perry, Zach Evans, Will Sullen, all these sort of guys, they still actually perform really well at certain times at professional cricket. And they probably haven't performed as well at Premier Cricket as some people suggest they should have at this particular time, but they're still very, very good players. So they're still going to make it. It's still very hard to perform at Premier Cricket. You still need to be a very good player and continue to improve. But I think also too, Cricket Victoria putting some great things in place with academies and all that sort of stuff too, that, to make sure that the identified younger guys that play in between the under-19s but also to just sort of missing out on that state selection that is actually still a, a transition for them to actually continue to develop to actually get to where they want to get to yeah so i think it's still it's very exciting times in world cricket let alone just victorian and i guess one close to both of us you know jimmy seymour who's plundered 100 after 100 in premier cricket for the last two or three years and him coming into his shield debut late last season and peeling off for 60 shows that well yes there is a gap the gap can be made up and players who are good enough in, in premier cricket can still make that jump. Yeah, definitely. As Jimmy showed it, as you talk about back in the day, why Australia was so good because you had guys walking in into the Australian team that played state cricket or from premier cricket to state cricket. They've had performances on the board and guys like James Seymour, yeah, he's been overlooked for a little bit, but he's earned every bit of his opportunity. And there's no doubt when he did get his opportunity, he's going to succeed because good players are good players regardless of where they're playing. And then sometimes that, People would probably underestimate this a little bit. Sometimes it actually is a little bit easier the higher up you go because you are getting better facilities, your wicket's a lot better, especially for the batters, that it can actually be sometimes easier because you've got more pace in the ball as well. The grounds are faster and something can be a bit easier to bat. So, But anyway, good players, good players, and good players are going to make it. Now, you've touched on your role with the Vic Underage setup and you're involved with Maribyrnong Sports Academy too. How does your coaching change? You know, We've spoken about you being a facilitator at the elite level. 
What about in terms of working with some of these kids? Is it more of that direct instruction and guidance or do you still see yourself as a facilitator of learning? That's a good question. It's a bit of a mix. It sort of probably changes from session to session and, and student to student. Like I do some stuff at Cedar as well, the same sort of thing. Like it's sometimes that you need to actually give some a bit more direction, but that's not all the time. It's just actually so they can get an understanding of where you're actually trying to get to. But when it comes down to it, the kids have actually got to try things and learn things themselves. And the biggest thing I'll talk to kids about is make sure they know it's okay to make a mistake. Because if you make mistakes, that's how you learn. And all of a sudden, I think we lost that a little bit. Some people, well, some respect that some kids actually make a mistake and they get down on themselves. They think that's the worst in the world. Like, how, how can you make a mistake? I'm not getting better because I keep making mistakes. But in reality, the more mistakes you make is actually better because they're you actually ones you learn from and understand what you can't do. So then you can actually continue to try to do that to improve. So for me, it's all about actually encouraging them to try different things, getting out of their comfort zone to make mistakes. So then they can actually know what it looks like when they get that right. Now, we had Shane Dietz on the podcast for our second episode there, and obviously was heavily involved with the Vanuatu national team. You actually coached the team in 2019. You Remember, remember you uh, sharing some stories and that experience. Uh, what are some of the things you took away from that role? Uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Actually, DT played in that tournament for Hartford, which was good until we got, oh, he had a sore little tickle on his throat or something, I think, and missed the last little bit. But no, that was a great experience. And obviously, once again, it's a, it's a different scenario, different sort of cultural background and whatever else completely different to growing up here so there's always different challenges and whichever group you face but it's actually understanding what sort of makes them tick and what actually works for them and then trying to adapt your conversations and your language to where they're actually buying into it and actually trying to continue to improve really so i think it all comes down to it everything's very similar it's just the language and the communication you actually use with each particular group is going to determine how successful you are with them and finding that common ground, what actually works for both. That's the thing. It's a lot of the time, it's a bit like we talk about the kids making mistakes or trying different things. The same as coaching and sort of understanding that you can actually make mistakes. You're not perfect. You're not the finished product. You're always going to continue to learn. It's about adapting and trying different things on the spot and make sure you continue to grow and learn from that. And you actually get a bit of understanding of what actually works for different people. And you've got the group as one aspect, but also too, you've got each individual can be completely different as well. So it's just identifying what, how that sort of works and where your common ground is with, with everything you're trying to do. And Clint, just in closing, in terms of coaches at premier level or even beneath that who are aspiring to coach at the highest level not but might not have played for australia or victoria for that matter what's some advice you can give those coaches that are coming through the ranks that uh, haven't quite made the highest level themselves as a player just keep trying i think when it comes down to it like yeah it's all well and good and i understand that the guys who actually have played at the next level or the highest level you do get more opportunities to start but it's not the be and end all just because you played at a certain level doesn't necessarily make you a good coach. And if you haven't played at the level at all, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a bad coach or a great coach with that as well. So that's just making sure that you very you work out your own philosophy of your coaching and what you're actually trying to achieve. Make sure you continue to ask questions and listen to other people and think back at the other, all the coaches you've had in your time and try and pick out the things they've done really well and work out how does that relate to your personality and if you can actually implement some of those things. But also too, think about what the coaches you think you've had as well that you think that they've actually could improve on and what's their weaknesses. And it's not about making sure you don't do them. It's just actually understanding that what they are and making sure that you can continue to grow and map out your coaching path in the particular path you want to. So there's plenty of coaches around. Mickey Arthur's he's coached for like four countries now. It's Australia and he's at Sri Lanka now, South Africa, Pakistan as well. He never played international career. He played first class career. Yeah. So it shows that Simon Helmet is a fantastic coach. 
around the world, coached assist coach IPLs, coach big bash teams, Caribbean Premier Leagues. Fantastic. Once again, he's never played first class cricket. So there's definitely scope there to move within. It's just continuing to actually do the right things day in, day out, continuing to learn and continue to grow as a coach. Glenn, it's been amazing having you on. Champion of the Essendon Cricket Club is an absolute privilege playing alongside you and working with you a few years ago and uh, your legacy with Victorian cricket and career with Australia was incredible as well. So congratulations on all you've achieved. I know you've got plenty more that you're setting out to do with your coaching. Best of luck, mate, with that and uh, good luck in Brunswick Colours too. Excellent, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Coaching Clubland. A shout out to the talented Aidan Arandes for putting together our podcast theme song. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Feel free to leave a rating and review. To catch the latest updates from the podcast, check us out on Facebook or on Twitter at Coaching Club Pod. Thanks again and catch you around in Clubland.